Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good deal. Hey, it's going to be another fun one. Puppies and unicorns and rainbows. Are you ready? Man, I'm the king of all the dandy messages, I tell you. Hey, uh, before we jump into Habakkuk, last week I challenged you guys to pray for Pastor Brad as he's out on sabbatical, and I challenge you to pray for our middle school students who went to camp. How many of you guys were able to do that? Cool, we got a handful. Um, Yeah, good job. Well done. Hey, uh, here's the good news. We get to do it again, right? Because Brad is still out. And so I want to challenge all of you. Be praying for Brad as he is out and away for the month that he uh, would come back refreshed, that he would be able to hear from God, that he would come back with a renewed kind of sense of vision and excitement uh, for uh, what he is called to do here as the lead pastor of our church. And at the same time, our middle school students had a good week at camp. They came back and this is where the rubber meets the road. Right? They learned a lot of good things. They got to get away from kind of their normal circumstances. They were able to connect with God, worship, uh, learn a lot of cool things, and now they get to put it into practice. And so they need our prayer just as much now as they did while they were at camp. All right? So can we commit to those two things? Thank you. Good deal. Now, uh, I have a bit of good news that I want to share with you guys. A couple of months ago, Allie uh, Brenner, our community care coordinator at the bridge, she has the coolest title, Um, she applied for a grant with Lowe's, like the big blue box store. Uh, They had over 2,000 applicants submit uh, applications for a grant to help renovate uh, the building that we purchased that we have called the bridge. Out of over 2,000 applicants, 100 were chosen, and the bridge was one of them, and we were awarded $35,000 to renovate that building. And and why that's cool uh, is that, man, we're trying to do a lot over a couple of years, and so we're uh, purchasing buildings, and we're getting a house up, we're getting a preschool going, we're getting a shop going, and here's the deal. We have finite resources, but God does not. And so even in our shortcomings of being able to buy and renovate spaces, God says, watch me work. It's just a continued reminder that what he is doing in our community is incredibly cool, and we get to tag along. So this week, regardless of your circumstances, know that God provides, he's doing amazing things here, and that we get to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good deal. All right. Habakkuk, round two, here we go. Last week, we started walking through the storyline of how we got from Abraham all the way to where the story of Habakkuk picks up. And it started with God making a promise to a man named Abraham. He was old and had no children, and God said, I'm going to give you so many descendants, they will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'm going to give you a specific land that you guys get to inhabit. And so this promise was made, and God said, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I'm going to do this for you. And so these people waited and waited and waited. And in their waiting, they spent a long period of time in Egypt. They spent a long period of time in the wilderness. And what we see is there is this cycle that takes place where the people want to be just like everybody else. They want to worship like everybody else. They want a king like everybody else. And so we see this cycle where they follow God and they do a good job at it and then they fall away and something happens and things fall apart and they call out to God and God saves them and they come back to God and this cycle goes on and on and on and on. 
And about a thousand years after God makes this promise to Abraham, the people are where God said they were going to live, and they were numerous. They were a kingdom. Like they went from a family to a kingdom's worth of people, and things were awesome. Solomon is king. He is doing amazing things. He builds the temple, and heaven is meeting earth here. God is with his people. He is among them, and things are awesome until that cycle continues. When they fall away from God, things hit the fan, they call out, and this cycle continues. Now, after Solomon passed away, the united group of people split into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You had Israel and you had Judah. And in their history, they had 40 kings combined between the two of them. And out of those 40 kings, only eight of them did good. The rest were evil. So if you think we have a rough political system, it was just as bad back then. And the last of these good kings, his name was Josiah, and Josiah came to reign at eight years old. Get your head around that. Bow to an eight-year-old, right? Josiah becomes king at eight. And at 16, he hears of God and he commits his life to God. And so uh, he decides we need to clean up the temple, right? This thing is in shambles. You walk in and there are images of all these other gods. There are altars that people are sacrificing to all these other gods. There are priests and priestesses to all these other gods. And Josiah starts cleaning house. He says, we need to rebuild this. We need to cleanse it. We need to restore it to what it was. And while they're doing this, the high priest actually stumbles upon the scroll with the law on it. Like they had gotten so removed from following God that they legitimately lost their Bible. And the high priest finds it and brings it to Josiah and they read it and they weep. And they look at how far they have fallen and how far away from God that they are. And so they bring this to the people and they read it to the people and the people weep and there's mass repentance and there's an Old Testament revival that takes place. They share a Passover meal and all of this good stuff is happening. Now at the same time that this is taking place, there are other kind of world powers that are still ruining things and doing their deal. And you've got the Babylonians who are up and coming and you've got the Assyrians. They're still king of hill, but they're on decline, and then you've got Egypt, who they too are uh, big and bad, but they are on the decline as well. And so Pharaoh, his name was Necho at the time, writes to Josiah and says, hey, I'm coming through your land on my way to somewhere else, and Josiah says, no, you're not. Necho says, who are you to tell me what's up? I'm going to do what I want to do. So he brings his troops, and it says that Josiah calls his men and says, we're going to stand up to him, and Josiah dresses with his men. He doesn't stand on a hill and watch what is taking place, but Josiah gets into the battle with his men, and it says that Josiah was killed. Now Josiah is replaced by his two moron sons, and after 11 years of them being on the throne, they drive Judah into the ground. And so all of the good that happened under Josiah, all of this reform, all of this repentance, all of this good, all of this turning back to God has all been washed out by his sons. And this is where Habakkuk is picking up. 
There is lawlessness. The people are corrupt. They have fallen away from God. They're worshiping false gods. They are doing everything they are not supposed to. And Habakkuk finally hits his breaking point. He says, we got to do something about this. And so Habakkuk prays to God. Starting in verse 2, Habakkuk's prayer. It says, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing, oppression, and violence are right in front of me? Strife is ongoing and conflict, it escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. So in the face of everything that's going on, Habakkuk cries out to God. And he says, how long? How long am I going to have to do this and Why? How many of you have been in that spot before? Something hits and you're like, how long? And why? Right? How long am I going to have to go through this? How long is this round of chemo? How long before my heart gets put back together after this divorce? How long am I going to miss this loved one that passed away? How long? And why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? See, this book that was written thousands of years ago has a lot more to do with us today than we probably thought. In this prayer, Habakkuk shares these six problems. He says, injustice and wrongdoing are going on. And the way that the Hebrew's translating some of this is a little different than English, but injustice and wrongdoing. He's talking about things that are happening between individuals. There is wrongdoing that is happening, and there is a perpetrator, someone who is doing it, and then there is the one who is inflicted. God, look at what is happening between people. They're hurting each other. And then he moves from just people to the corporate setting. He says there is oppression and there is violence. And this is community-wide. Then he goes even further and he says strife and conflict. And in Hebrew, these are legal terms, right? Our legal system is a mess. So you got people hurting each other community-wide. There's just violence, there's oppression, and our courts, they're doing nothing. And because of this, the law, this thing that you cherish, it is paralyzed. It does not work. It's ineffective. And because of that, justice never prevails. The wicked will hem in, the righteous, and justice is perverted. Right? Habakkuk describes society as being full of crime and violence and corruption, uh, mock legal battles. Right? Like, What's the point of going to court if nothing good's going to come from it? The defeat of the righteous, he is describing a ruined society. And the prophet wants to know why God is tolerating it and why wickedness is flourishing. How long and why? And God responds to Habakkuk. Verse 5 says, Look at the nations and observe. 
be utterly astounded. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Right? God responds to Habakkuk. How often in the New Testament, in the first four books of the Bible, uh, first four books of the New Testament, in the Gospels, we see Jesus ask a question. He's asked a question, and in response, he asks them a question back. Right? It's one of those where it's like, hey, I've got a question for you. And he's like, cool, so do I. You're like, well, that was unhelpful, right? In a similar way, Habakkuk cries out and God says, I've got a response. Habakkuk's like, look at what's going on. And God's like, look at that. Like he responds to him, but he's not answering him directly. But we can't take light the fact that God hears and God responds. That God hears and God responds. I think far too often we will look at the Bible and we'll be like, well, no, duh, God responded to him. He's in the Bible, right? Habakkuk was nothing special. Habakkuk was a man. In fact, we know so little about him. We don't know what his name really means. We don't know what he did prior to this. We don't know a whole lot about him. Habakkuk was a dude. But here's the reality. He cried out to God. God heard and God responded. And so in whatever season you find yourself in, God is going to hear and respond in the same way he did with Habakkuk. Again, this book has so much for us today. And so in God's response, he tells Habakkuk to do three things. First, he says, look, two, observe, three, be astounded. Like, look at what's going on, watch it, and you're probably going to want to sit down for what's about to come. Now, before we really dig into God's response, there's something that we need to set straight. Because far too often we'll read passages like this and we focus on the offense instead of focusing on who's offended. Like, we read this and we're like, hold up. God, you're going to respond to what is taking place with something far worse than what is taking place. That doesn't seem fair. And we camp on the offense. Here's the deal. What would happen if one of you lied to me? Like Mike Elliott lies to me all the time because he talks about how good Tampa Bay sports are. He's a liar, right? And you know what happens is I just don't trust him. Right? That's the consequence. Right? If you guys lied to me, nothing really is going to happen to you. I'm going to struggle to trust you. That's about it. But what happens if you lie to a judge in court? That's called perjury and you go to prison. You see, who gets offended matters more than the offense. Right? You lie to me, eh. you lie to a judge, clank, big difference. So when we read stories like this, we focus on the offense. We focus on what takes place instead of focusing on who is offended, right? God, the creator of everything, God who was and is and is to come, the God who is outside of time, God that knows everything, like he doesn't use Google and he has never read a book because he knows it all, the God who is everywhere, the God whose ways are higher than our ways, this is who is offended. That's where we need to camp. 
who God is and what has happened to him. And I think what's beautiful in this is that not only does God hear and respond, but God fashioned everything with justice. He did, he made it, justice. It's there and it's coming. And even when we don't see it, it's still coming. So we're gonna look at how God is gonna deal with what's going on around Habakkuk. Verse six, it says, look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians. That bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories that are not its own. Like bitter and impetuous, like these translated in the Hebrew, they literally translate into fierce and with speed and efficiency. Like they are coming in so hard, so fast, you're not even gonna realize they're here. They will take you down so quickly, you're not gonna realize what's happening. Bitter and impetuous. They describe the policies and the practices of the Babylonian Empire. They describe their army that will rapidly change the face of all political structures. The Babylonians take what they want and do what they want because they have the power to do so. And then God goes on to talk about the military. Verse seven, he says, they are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Like they answer to nobody. There's nobody higher than them. They answer to themselves. They are the originators of their own justice. They are so arrogant, they instill fear in everyone. Like these guys are so into themselves that people are scared of how awesome they are because they believe how awesome they are. Like we read the book of Daniel not that long ago here, and we heard about King Nebuchadnezzar, who literally went crazy because he was so into himself. That's the king of these people. They are proud. They are arrogant. They don't recognize territory. They don't recognize other gods of other territories. It's in front of us. We want it. It will be ours. This is the Babylonians. Verse eight, their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves in the night. Their horsemen charge ahead and their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles swooping to devour. Now I'm not a biologist, but leopards can run pretty quick, right? Their horses are running like these cats. They are more fierce than wolves at night. Here's the deal, I'm about to leave for a road trip out west. I've been watching videos of wolf packs taking down elk because I'm sick inside and I can't wait to see it in person, okay? This is their cavalry. It's night, they're hungry, they're coming for you. You wanna see hungry wolves at night? It is gross. They fly like eagles. Verse nine, all of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand, like they are so battle-hardened by violence. 
right? Like Habakkuk is complaining, man, God, there is violence and there is oppression going on here and God's like, you haven't seen anything yet. Like what you're witnessing is a kindergarten classroom compared to what is coming for you. These are bad dudes. Like Judah is about to get a heavy dose of medicine as a means of discipline and correction and judgment. Why? Because of who they have offended. Verse 10, they mock kings and rulers and are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Right, like if you're a king and you have a kingdom, you build your castle on the tallest part of your kingdom. Why? So you have a vantage point to see out who's coming for you. And so kings will build their castle and have these massive walls and they sit on their throne and they just watch and they laugh and they mock at who is coming because they have the strategic foothold in this military battle. And it says that the Babylonians show up and they start laughing and mocking at this dude sitting in his little crow's nest up top of a mountain. They build siege ramps. They literally start moving boulders and rocks and dirt. They don't have excavators. They got themselves, but they're building massive ramps up the walls of your kingdom so they can just climb over it. Like these were professional fighters in siege warfare. Verse 11. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. Here's the deal. They're going to hit you like a hurricane. The wind, it's going to come. It's going to knock you down. There will be death. There will be destruction. And they're just going to blow on out like a storm. Just leaving devastation. But after all of this language after God talks about how great they are with their cavalry and their horses and how powerful they are and how brutal they are. He says some really important words. He says, they are guilty. Like what's coming, I'm going to allow to have come, but they're guilty too. You're still mine. I'm just using them in the work that I'm doing here. To Babylon, they were the greatest, they were the best, they were the most powerful, and God's like, you guys are a pawn in this story. You think you're big and you're bad, your reign is gonna be minuscule, but I'm gonna use you. So even in his response, he's explaining what is to come and at the same time providing a glimmer of hope that here's the deal, you're still mine. I'm not replacing you with them. I'm gonna give you a spoiler as to how the next three weeks of this series are gonna play out. Right? Habakkuk prayed to God and God responded and Habakkuk didn't really like God's response so he's going to pray again and I don't blame him. And then God responds to that prayer. And then Habakkuk responds and has a third prayer. And we finally see Habakkuk make a huge confession of trust in God despite his circumstances. 
Like reading all of this, it is so easy for us to just camp and say death and destruction and doom, good grief. The Bible's depressing. He's saying no. Trust is being formed in this season. It is through hardship that I'm drawing you to myself and a good work is happening even when it doesn't feel like it can. And so the way that Habakkuk moves from his first prayer to where the end of this book is going to sit is through a process called lament. Lamenting. This is not new. It's been around for a long time. Habakkuk's first prayer, right? This is a form of lament. All throughout the book of Psalms, you see people lament. There's a book called Lamentations. It is lament. This isn't a new concept, but it is one that's lost on us today. And so Habakkuk is so important to who we are and where we're at today. There's so much for us to learn from this. Because like Habakkuk, we lament when we grieve over the loss of somebody or something that is dear to us. We lament when our heart is broken. We lament when we feel helpless in our situation. The Bible actually tells us, lament over your sin. Because lament is the transition between pain and promise. It moves you from pain to promise. It moves you from heartbreak to hope. Lament invites us to turn our gaze from the rubble of our life to the redeemer of every hurt. And this is happening in Habakkuk, and this needs to happen in our hearts and in our lives. And so most biblical lament follows a pattern, right? God is taking people on a journey, right? We're seeing this with Habakkuk right now. God is taking him on a journey. And most lament kind of follows these pieces. It starts with an address. It's followed by a complaint, and then a request, and then an expression of trust and or praise. For us, easy way to remember this is turn, complain, ask, and trust. Four words. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. And we see this happen in Habakkuk's prayer, right? He calls out to God, oh God, how long is this happening? And he points out what is taking place. He names it. And then he complains, this is what's going on. And he shares what it is he needs or what he feels he needs from God. And we see him ask, God, will you deliver us from this? And as this book goes on, we see that fourth trust piece get developed. He 
You see, today our society is incredibly good at complaint. Like we got one of the four knocked out of the park, right? Any of you been on Facebook in the last 24 hours? Whiny. Complaint. We're good at it. We are awesome at talking about what is bad. But we complain to the wrong person. We do. Here's the deal. If you're going to lament on Facebook, you better put a helmet on because people are going to start swinging at you. They will. Right? Like, you go to creation and complain about what is taking place. They are going to throw the blame of all of it back on you. Want to know why we have a mental health crisis in our country? Because when things are brutal and we say something about it, we get blamed for it happening. So now in your brokenness, you're not just carrying your hurt, but now you're getting all of the blame heaped on top of you. Guys, that's crushing. I don't know about you, but I was not created to know what everybody thinks all the time. Yet just like in the Old Testament, this cycle keeps happening. We keep going to the same place. Here's the deal. In his distress, Habakkuk did not call out to the people that were causing his distress. That's idiotic. He calls on somebody greater than the folks causing his distress. Church, we've got to learn how to lament, not just complain. We've got to learn this process. We've got to learn how to find healing. We've got to learn how to find hope. Because if we're going to be a church that brings hope and healing to our community, we better figure it out first. Habakkuk is teaching us how to lament. And it's time that we, too, learn how to lament. In her book, Holier Than Thou, author Jackie Hill Perry writes, if God is holy, then he can't sin. And if God can't sin, that means he can't sin against you. And if God can't sin against you, doesn't that make him the only trustworthy being there is? How many light bulbs are going off in your brain right now? We're watching our circumstances and we're saying, God, how can you allow this to happen? And we're camped out and we got our blinders on. He's like, you're focused on the wrong thing. Lift your eyes. At the end of this book, Habakkuk makes this radical affirmation of faith. Why? Because of who he turned to. It was God. Not people in his surroundings. He turned to somebody greater than his circumstances. Because of who he complained to. God, here's what's going on. And you're the only one capable of doing anything about it. And he asked God to deliver. He asked God to intervene. He asked God to do something about it. 
Because God's the only one who can. See, Habakkuk finds hope in turning to God, in complaining to God, and in asking for help from God. Now, last week I shared that as we look at the book of Habakkuk, we need to take into account that Habakkuk was written under the Old Covenant, that Habakkuk lived under the Old Covenant, that that scroll, the law that Josiah found, that was the Old Covenant. And that you and I today are living after Jesus came, died, and rose, which means we are people of the cross. We are new covenant people. And so in this book, we're hearing Habakkuk crying out for a longing for justice to take place, and that justice happened on the cross. But just like Habakkuk, who is waiting, we too are waiting, aren't we? Because while Jesus did everything necessary for our salvation, we are living between his resurrection and his return. Which means just like Habakkuk, we're in this spot where turmoil and just everything does not seem right. All the more why this book is important to who we are and where we're living these days. The beginning of this book, it says that this was an oracle. This was a vision that God gave to Habakkuk. That he wrote it down for Habakkuk's good and he wrote it down for our good. God gave a vision to Habakkuk and in that vision, Habakkuk finds hope. Guys, God sent his son to die for us, taking the penalty for our sin so that we too could have hope, regardless of our circumstances. This is the good news. Amen? You see, living faithfully before the Lord is an exercise of hope. It was for Habakkuk and it is for us today because living by faith is trusting that God, even when you don't understand God, like faith is trusting God when you don't understand God. That's what it is. Like faith is not our way of getting what we want, but of accepting what God wants for us. That faith combats getting frustrated with God by bringing our frustrations to God. I'm going to bring them to him instead of getting frustrated with him. Faith helps us have questions for God instead of accusations for God. Faith sees the difference between hurt and harm. How many of you have been to the dentist recently? Sometimes it hurts. But if they don't do what they do, there will be harm in your mouth. God is saying, here's the deal. What's coming with Babylon is going to hurt, but it's to stop this eternal harm. It's going to stop what is taking place spiritually in you. God is not afraid of surgery if it means healing a festering wound. 
And faith is what gets us through the bad times as we await the good times. See, the book of Habakkuk reminds us of where our hope is, as new covenant people. That our hope is in the Father, the God who saves and delivers. Our hope is in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who has come and is coming again. Our hope is in the Holy Spirit who guides us and comforts us in our affliction. So when you find yourself in a season like Habakkuk did, remember that God hears and God responds. That God fashioned this world with justice. And that because of Jesus, there is hope for us today. There's hope for us today. Now, when I began preparing for this series several weeks ago, uh, I sat down and started reading through Habakkuk and thought, man, this is going to be a dandy. (laughs) And I turned on Spotify, and uh, one of my all-time favorite songs called Oh God started to play. It's by a band called Citizens. They're out from Seattle. And this song came out right before my wife and I moved here to Indiana. And so this song has kind of been like an anthem song for me. When things are awesome, this song is playing. When things are rough, this song is playing. And so I open Spotify and I hit play and it should just be picking random songs. And instead, this song is playing over and over and over again. And so while I sat in Habakkuk, that song was sitting with me in it. And so this morning, we're going to sing it. And in this song, there's words that say, in the valley, oh God, you're near. In the quiet, oh God, you're near. In the shadows, in the breaking, in our searching, in our wandering, when I feel alone, at my lowest, oh God, you're near. This morning, it's time that we stop stuffing and we start lamenting. What do you got going on inside you that is eating you alive? What is it that just happened in your life that punched you in the soul? It is that that we turn to God and we complain and we ask and we trust. So let's do that this morning. You never leave 
Stands firm through all my life. In my searching. God, you're near in my wandering. God, you're near when I feel alone. Oh, God, you're near at my lowest. Oh, God, you're near. Oh, God. You never leave my side. And you're in love. Stands firm through all my life. Oh, high nor depth nor Anything else could pull us apart. We are joined as one by your blood. And hope will rise as we become more than conquerors through the one who loved the world.
Stands firm through all my life. You know, there's an incredibly popular saying that says, Time heals all wounds, and I want to tell you this that's garbage. Because wounds left with enough time become infected. Time with God heals all wounds. That is lament. May we be a church that turns. May we be a church that complains and asks and trusts. Remember that God hears and God responds. That God fashioned all of this with justice. And that because of Jesus, there is hope for you in it today. Let's pray. My Father, thank you for the book of Habakkuk. Thank you that this little three-chapter book, that it has so much for us today in 2022. And I pray that as we continue to read and study and dig into this, that you would continue speaking to us. I pray that as we continue to look into this, that we would focus on the offended and not the offense. And that as Habakkuk wrestles with what is to come, that he will turn to you. And I pray that for our congregation, that in whatever they find themselves in, that they would turn to you in it. Man, you've called us to be a church that brings hope and healing to our community. And that starts with us. And so, Father, this week, regardless of what is happening, if things are great in people's lives or things are rough, I pray that you would fill them with hope, that they would find their hope in you. And that those wounds, maybe old wounds that have been festering for years, I pray that you would start to heal them. For new ones, I pray you would heal those as well, that we can leave this space, go into our community, and that we can point people to hope and healing in you, the same hope and healing that we have experienced. Father, I'm so grateful for you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.